Welcome to a spring forward edition of Campus Life, the college side of our Campus to Canton podcast here. Uh, as always, I am Austin. And this is Colin. Uh, thanks again for joining us here this week, guys. Uh, thank you to all you guys that have been jumping on the website, playing around with Jarek's visualization app, um, uh, getting memberships, joining the Discord, and talking some football with us. I know we've had a lot of uh, fun stuff going on there. We talked 2022 running backs this weekend, you know, 2022 freshman running backs. <laughs> uh, we've had a lot of other really interesting discussions as free agency has played out here over the past couple of days. Um, and, you know, we're just, we're cranking our articles. Um, you know, we, over at Debbie debate, we just interviewed Kyle McCord. So that's up on the website uh, for you guys to go check out lots of cool stuff going on there. So just a reminder, uh, if you're looking for uh, written information from us or from anybody else associated uh, with the podcast here, go on over to campus uh, campus2canton.com. Check all of those things out. Remember to rate and review the show. We have a signed Travis Etienne jersey that is going to be the next giveaway here. To be entered to do that, all you have to do is rate and review the show on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. And then when you do that, just take a screenshot of your review and send it to one of us. You can either DM it to us on Twitter. I am at Debbie Dietz. Colin is at C2C Decker. You can hit us up at the website slash podcast accounts at Campus2Canton, the number two. Or if none of those work for you, you can email it to us. And that is Campus2Canton at gmail.com. And that is the number two in the middle there as well. So I think that is all the housekeeping stuff that we have to get to. Um, March is here. The only thing I can think of when I think of March, uh, besides spring football, which we're going to get to in a minute, is March Madness, so uh, college basketball. Colin, uh, any thoughts on the newly released bracket here? So uh, first thing I do have to say is I'm not super happy that they moved the first weekend back to Friday to Saturday. I'm sure that works really well for everybody else's schedule, but I already took my PTO for the 18th and the 19th back in January before they made this announcement, like right at the beginning of the new year. Uh, Cause I always want to have off for those first two days. It's just nonstop basketball all the time. You get two, three TVs going each with a game, a game or two on. And it's, it's one of my favorite times of year. So not super happy that they moved it back because now I have Thursday off and just going to kind of, do nothing but pack for our move that's coming up. But uh, just looking at the bracket, though, I haven't followed this as closely this year as I had in years past. But I don't know. I've always I always like Gonzaga. You know, you love that underdog story, and it looks like they have a pretty soft draw here from everything that I'm looking at now. I mean, uh, Virginia is never an easy team to beat unless you're UMBC. Go Terriers! <laughs> um, but Everybody else in that division or in that bracket is a little bit softer. Um, I mean, Iowa, Kansas may come out of the bottom and may challenge him, but I don't think anybody else is going to give him any run until they hit the Elite Eight. Yeah, I um, I usually am a really big college basketball fan. I usually watch a lot of college basketball throughout the year. I guess just this year, getting two different podcasts off the ground and the website, I didn't <laughs> have the time that I usually do. So I haven't really not watched much college basketball outside of a few pit games this year. Um, just looking at the field, like this bracket looks like it sucks. Like, 
there are two <laughs> with eight and nine losses. Like, can, if someone wants to explain to me on Twitter when you listen to this or in our Discord or whatever, is this just a really shitty year for college basketball? I mean, I know, like, you know, the blue blood, the traditional blue bloods weren't necessarily good. Uh, we were ribbing our friend Pat last night because, <laughs> because Duke didn't make it in the NCAA tournament, and he's a huge Duke fan. I know Kentucky wasn't good. I don't think UNC was good. So, I mean, college basketball suffers as a whole when some of those teams aren't necessarily as successful as they could be. But, I mean, yeah, I'm just looking at these records, and they're just, like, not very good from top to bottom. So I, I could see a lot of upsets happening just based on that more than usual. Uh, it seems like Gonzaga is the favorite, though. I mean, they're the only undefeated team. I know coming into the year they were supposed to be good, so that's not super surprising. Yeah, it's them, and it seems them and Baylor. Um, Baylor was undefeated up until uh, maybe like a week or so ago. Uh, they they got their first loss, but yeah, it's kind of Baylor and Gonzaga been one two pretty much most of the year. Um, but yeah, I mean, anytime you see you're talking about the blue bloods. When's the last time Kansas was on a three on a three seed? That was like the time that I remember was uh, when Bucknell beat them. Um, that was back in like 20, 2008. That's I what I was thinking too. Yeah. 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 And I mean, obviously being from like 10 minutes away from Bucknell, like that one sticks out in my mind, but you know, Kansas is a three seed. And then you even have UCLA as an 11 seed in the play in game against Michigan state, two blue bloods in that play in game, um, which, you know, I mean, I'm a UCLA fan, so I'm obviously rooting for UCLA there. Um, I, I'm impressed that they did that. They had a nice year this year, uh, with Mick Cronin. Um, cause I mean, he was there last year, but like the like, craziness of last year, like this is his first real year. Um, and he just got them playing like classic Mick Cronin basketball, um, which is a huge departure from UC- what UCLA was before. So that sounds like a knockoff McDonald's when you say that Mick Cronin, Mick Cronin basketball, <laughs> <laughs> my McCrone burger. <laughs> <laughs> get a get a quarter pounder with cheese from McCronin's. Yeah, but I feel like it's yeah. There's like something weird on it that like it just totally changes the outlook of like actually wanting that burger. Get a McCronin chicken. Uh, that's yeah. That's yucky. McCron- some McCronin nuggets. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to that restaurant. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting. We're not going to make any predictions here because, like we said, neither of us really followed it this year, and I don't think I'd be able to give any sort of intelligent. Um, response outside of what I usually know. I know that uh, based on what the little bit I'd seen, I probably would have predicted maybe Michigan to be able to force something with Gonzaga, but I just saw that um, one of their best players is what out for the rest of the tournament here, Isaiah um, Livers or Livers or however you say his last name. So yeah, um, I, I, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It'd be nice to see Gonzaga actually win one for once. Um, so little old John Stockton's alma mater. <laughs> He's like the epitome of Gonzaga. It's a tiny yeah. little weak guy that tries really hard. Yeah, well, they've kind of shifted their focus now. They really dominate like the transfer portal for basketball. They bring in a lot of those kids that go to, you know, Kentucky or Duke or wherever for a year, and then they bring in you know the next stud ahead of that guy, and that guy's not quite ready to go to to make the jump pro, but he just got recruited over, so he's looking to go somewhere else. So Gonzaga capitalizes on those a lot. So they've kind of changed up their style. It's funny. We've been we were talking about that today on Clubhouse actually during Alfred's daily commute thing or whatever. Um, after he hopped off, actually, a couple of us were just talking about how we're waiting for some college football team 
to really embrace the transfer portal now that there's these, you know, first time automatic waivers. And just uh, someone was saying they could see Les Miles doing it at Ole Miss. I think it was uh, <laughs> Brandon Hay. And I was like, that that actually makes a lot of sense. That's very, very interesting. Um, you mean Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss? What did I say? Les Miles. Yeah, I'm in the show sheet. yeah, I was reading the show sheet. <laughs> we have Les Miles on there. So, yes, Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss, I think, is a guy that, that he was saying that he could see doing that. And he seems crazy enough to, to try to pull yeah. something like that off. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess we'll just go right to Les Miles uh, in our news <laughs> segment here. We talked about Les Miles a bunch last week, so we're not going to spend another 10 minutes this week talking about him. But it's official that he, since our last show, has been ousted at Kansas along with their AD. And I think they ended up reaching a settlement with him where he gets like $2 million of his $8 million buyout or something like that. So everybody walks away not very satisfied with that particular outcome. Fans, the less miles, the school, literally everybody probably not particularly happy how that went. Um, so we don't have that much of a discussion on this. If you want to listen to our thoughts on it, go back to last week's show. The only really noteworthy item here is that it seems like the interim head coach is going to be Coach Emmett Jones who was the wide receiver coach there. And um, he has roots in Texas. So you got to figure if he stays the guy there that maybe they do slightly better recruiting in Texas. I mean, there's just so much competition there that you can't imagine there's some sort of a sales pitch that you can go into a decent level high school kid in Texas's house and get them to come to Kansas over Texas, Texas A&M, Texas Tech, TCU, SMU, Oklahoma, whoever else wants to pull kids out of Texas because Bama does it every year, LSU does it every year. So a lot of competition there. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that does help him is, um, you know, that just he was at Texas Tech there for a while. So he knows the state pretty well. Like you were saying, he has some ties there and everything. So I think that'll help him. Uh, But, you know, he does particularly well with uh, wide receivers, you know, when he was at Texas Tech and he – you know, got a nice uh, a nice season or two out of Andrew Parchment, you know, before he ended up transferring to Florida State. So, you know, you have to like uh, Emmett Jones' promotion for Quadre Davis, uh, at least, you know, assuming he still sticks around. You know, I, I imagine that Emmett Jones probably played a role in bringing him in. But, yeah, I mean, you got to figure that if he sticks around, that, you know, him being promoted will be a nice bump for him there. Uh, they don't really have any other receivers or offensive skill players of note besides Devin Neal then too. So, you know, it's, I mean, it's, it's not necessarily a, uh, it's not necessarily a spot where I want anybody from Kansas, but you know, I think if bringing in Emmett Jones as the interim, at least is a band aid. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just don't really have strong thoughts on Texas football. I've heard a lot of people say they should go to triple option or um, bring in like that high school coach from uh, Louisiana or whatever that doesn't ever punt or whatever. <laughs> um, he's offered to take the job, and he basically will only take a check when they win games. So very cheap mistake if they make it because if he sucks, they aren't going to win any games. So I don't know which direction they'll go, but just something to think about um, there. Maybe you just are looking at whoever plays Kansas that week gets a boost. If that's if that's what the takeaway from this is, then that, there's the takeaway. Whatever. Um, couple of transfers. Cody Brown to Miami. And Cody Brown was originally committed to uh, Tennessee. He is a four-star kid in this class, the number ten running back according to the twenty-four-seven composite. Uh, 
And six foot two seventeen, so he pretty much already has the college body. He had offers from a ton of bigger schools, uh, but Miami ends up getting him. Colin, does this do anything for you for Cody Brown's value for the other running backs on Miami's value uh, for anybody's value? Um, not really. No, it doesn't really move the needle that much for me. I'm not the biggest Cody Brown fan overall. Um, I mean, I know he's the number 10 running back in the class. So, you know, people think pretty highly of him. Um, but, you know, I just, I wasn't super impressed with him. He has very little wiggle to his game. Uh, he's pretty much just kind of a head down, power forward, break a tackle or two kind of a guy. And, you know, occasionally he'll break two tackles and then just off to the races and he just sprints to the end zone. And that's about it. But there's no wiggle to his game. There's no nuance. Um, he's, he's not very patient. You know, he doesn't have very good vision. He gets, looks to get downhill quickly. He takes the first hole that he sees. And like I said, then he just tries to run somebody over and then outrun them to the end zone. And his speed is fine. Like you see it on tape where he can pull away from guys, but he was clocked at an 11, six, 800 meter. So that's okay. Like, I mean, I'm sitting here that that's way better than I could run clearly, but um, you know, that's nothing like earth shattering or anything like that. So his speed his long speed is solid, but he's not a burner by any means. He's just, he's more of a power back and, um, you don't really see him catch the ball too much there. So I'm at least from what I've seen on his tape so far, but so I'm not super interested in Cody Brown. Uh, you know, I mean, I think I haven't really watched Thad Franklin yet. Who's the other guy that they're bringing in. So I don't think that helps anything for him. Um, and I think ever the other three kind of have their roles already defined where Cameron Harris is going to be the lead back in the committee. Um, you know, Knighton is the change of pace guy, the receiving back. I like Don Chaney's skill set too. I think he'd be a, a nice compliment to Knighton. I think he could step in and fill in for Harris nicely, but Har the, Harris seems to be the incumbent there. So it's, I imagine he's going to get the bulk of that and Chaney will kind of get relegated at number three duties. And then after that, it's, you know, who cares? Uh, so I don't particularly have that much interest in anybody in Miami's backfield, but uh, I'm kind of out on Cody Brown. Yeah, I question whether he's like a major Division One program athlete, to be completely honest. I don't think he shows very good burst. And I know you said he has some long speed, but I don't really see it that much, to be completely honest. I mean, and especially his top speed, you know, you said he has the 11, 6, 8, 100. His 200 is a 24.34. It's not really very fast at all. And to be honest, like if you look at his 24-7, they have you know all the verified track results. They have a bunch of throwing ones on there. Yeah. Like which <laughs> tells you all, all you need to know about him <laughs> as an athlete. Like I don't think he's I just don't think he's a dynamic mover at all. I don't give a shit about his shot put. If he was a center, okay, maybe <laughs> I'd care what his shot put distance was or whatever, but he's not, so I don't care. Um, I don't think this does anything for him in Miami, and I'd be shocked if he ever really does anything there, to be completely honest. I mean, Miami as a whole just generally tends to be kind of a wasteland for a lot of running backs. So does Florida. So does Florida State. For whatever reason, none of those schools in Florida really develop those guys. And I just think Cody Brown's going to be a name that we forget about completely in three years, in my opinion. That's probably harsh. I'm sorry. But <laughs> I, just, he, I, won't ha I will have him in zero C2C rosters this year. I guarantee it. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm not going to own him really anywhere. Um, you know, even before when he was going to Tennessee, I was a little bit more intrigued at least just because everybody else jumped ship and like who else did they have? But 
you know, with him going to Miami, like I'm pretty much completely out. Um, yeah. You know, like I said, he he has like decent speed. Like like I said, you can see him on his highlight tape where he'll pull away from some guys, but I don't think the level of competition is all that particularly high. Yeah, I can't tell exactly what the level is. You know, I know Georgia has pretty good high school football, and I'm pretty sure Parkview High School plays in the highest division. I don't know. I'm just watching this and thinking that he does not look particularly great. I I, I don't know. Some of this stuff's so hard to tell, especially level of comp. But yeah, um, yeah. Um, the other transfer that we have here to discuss tonight is, are the Nasua brothers going to BYU. Uh, Puka leaving Washington and Samson leaving Utah. Samson was really not a contributor there in college at all. I mean, he didn't really have any offers coming out of high school and proved everybody right <laughs> from there on. Um, I, I woke up on the wrong side of the bed this morning today. I think, guys, uh, if your favorite player comes up in conversation today, it, there's there's a hazard there for you. Um uh, yeah, he's just not really, you know, I don't think anyone really cares about him. I basically think that the two of them were a package deal and whatever team was trying to bring those two guys in or was trying to bring Puka in had to bring them both. And I'm honestly scared a little bit of Puka after some of the stories I'm hearing come out of the locker room in Washington there saying that he basically alienated himself from the rest of the locker room. You know, I don't care about uh, which side of the political spectrum any of these players are on, but to be so far to one side of it that you completely alienate the rest of the roster is scary. Now, I know BYU is a very, very <laughs> conservative place, so maybe he'll fit in there a little bit better than he did in Washington, which is decidedly less so. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, the fallout from this transfer it has me really rethinking what I thought of Puka, who is a uh, fairly athletic wide receiver, decent size, you know, 6'1", 2 10-ish or whatever. Never really got going at Washington, but kind of hard to blame anybody there, especially with this past year being basically a throwaway, Colin. Do you have any you know, particularly big thoughts on this one way or the other? Um, well, I mean, I think Samson needs to thank his mom for making Puka drag Big Brother to BYU with him. Um, you know, because like, I think you were you were right there. I don't think anybody was particularly clamoring over Samson Masua. Um you know, like he was a three-star in the class of 2016. You know, he had a decent uh, freshman year, 29 catches, 294, and a touchdown, which is pretty solid for a freshman. Uh, but then the senior year, this past year, he had four catches for 29 yards. And I haven't really watched him at all, but, like, I'm not planning on it. He's not particularly high on my list. Now, uh, Puka, on the other hand, you know, I he hasn't done much through you know at Washington. I mean, he only played six games over the course of two years there. And he had 16 catches, 319 yards, and three touchdowns through six games. So there's some production there, at least. Um, you know, and he does have verified athleticism. Um, he has a 4.5740, a 4.36 shuttle, and a 35-inch vert um, coming from the opening. A 35.8-inch vert. Um, you know, so he's got good athleticism there. I always thought he looked a little bit quicker than fast. Um, you know, his long speed's decent, but he, he's very quick. Um, you know, which lends him to being a good route runner. He's very quick out and in and out of his breaks. He shows a nice nuance and varying his speeds. Shows a couple different release moves, which isn't something you see a lot of in you know on high school tape. Um, I do definitely need to watch more of him, but there just really isn't that much out there. But my biggest question is, you know, what situation is he stepping into? I mean, Baylor just or uh, TCU BYU. Sorry, 
Third time's a charm. BYU just lost their OC Jeff Grimes to Baylor. Um, so is that offense still going to be as potent without Zach Wilson and Jeff Grimes? Um, you know, Baylor Romney is stepping in at quarterback, presumably. And I really haven't watched him at all, but you know, he's his numbers haven't been super impressive. He a uh, thousand yards and a nine touchdowns to three INTs over two years there. And BYU does bring back Gunnar Romney with his 767 yards and two touchdowns. And Neil Pau, I guess is how you pronounce that one, uh, with who 609 yards and four touchdowns. So while they lost their top wide receiver uh, in Dax Milna, um, and I'm butchering all of these pronunciations, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm really, really enjoying this. <laughs> um, <laughs> and when they lost their top wide receiver in Dax, they're bringing back number two and three, and I just don't think they have their volume to go around. So I think this is pretty big stock down for Puka for me. Yeah, I um, I don't really know what to make that offense. I've actually just been, I don't want to say making the assumption, but I think pushing the narrative that I think they rely a little bit more on the running game this year. And that's why I think Tyler Algier has been a screaming buy in C2C leagues this year. I think he'll um, do some pretty big things there. Like you said, no Zach Wilson, no Dax Milna. Um, they still have Isaac Rex, um, but no one else in that offense that really makes you stand up and get excited. They've said that it's supposed to be a very open quarterback competition going into practice here. And I think they are practicing now. I think theirs have started. I don't remember what the date is for their game. I don't think that's particularly important. Um, so I am interested just to see how that offense shakes out in 2021. But I do think I'm avoiding pass catchers there if I don't already have them on my roster. Um, so, and I think this, this I not I don't remember if I have Puka in any leagues or not. But this might be the nail in the coffin for me in terms of being a believer in him. I might start shifting my attention. Elsewhere, unless I can get him, you know, round 38 or whatever in a startup, you know, I'm interested there. I'm not interested in round 20 or whatever. Um, he might still be going in just because I think people will recognize the name. Yeah, people will recognize the name and they'll recognize BYU and they'll remember the big year that they just had and they'll be like, oh, that's a potent offense. Uh, but like I said, I mean, losing Zach Wilson and losing the Jeff Grimes, the OC there, I, I don't think that's going to be nearly as potent of an offense this year. Uh, I think they're going to take a step back and probably maybe, maybe they still up end up as like a top 30 offense. I don't know, but you know, I I don't think they're going to be particularly explosive, but people are going to remember this past year. They're going to recognize the name Puka. And I think he's a guy who's going to get overdrafted, like you're saying, but I'm not going to own him anywhere. Yeah. Um, So last little piece of news here, and this is really not something major, but it's just something that is, uh, I think you know uh, should be uh, you should be aware of, and that's 2022 running back two Emmanuel Henderson has committed to Alabama, um, and I think we're just going to start doing a segment on this show highlighting every week when Bama signs one of these guys because it seems like it's a weekly occurrence at this point. Um, I've watched Henderson. Have you watched uh, any of him, Colin? Yeah, I watched a little of his huddle tape that's just on 24 seven. Like I didn't actually go to his huddle page yet. So just the highlights on there. What were your thoughts? Because I really was, I was like, this is the RB2. Like, I, I think this is one where 24-7 is just way off on whatever they think of him right now. Yeah, I mean, he's a very gifted athlete. Um, you know, I think he's he moves well. I think he's got pretty solid long speed. Uh, he ran an 11-4 uh, 
100 meter as a sophomore. Um, you know, and, and, and he's very shifty. You know, he can string moves together pretty well. But I think he is very similar to Wheaton, Kamar Wheaton, in that he's more athlete than RB right now. You see, uh, like I said, I haven't watched a ton of Henderson, but from what I did see, he bounces a lot to the outside and he gets away with that because of his athleticism. But there's like almost no patience there waiting for the holes to open. Doesn't really anticipate or like show any like good, any decent vision at all. Like it's mostly just, like I said, just him trying to bounce something to the outside, take it around the end and, and outrun people to the end zone or, you know, make a guy or two miss. And that's nice. You know, like I said, he's a great athlete and he's going to be going into his senior year. So he does have time to develop these, but I'm with you there. I'm not, I wasn't particularly impressed. Yeah. I think there's, um, you know, if people make the assumption when you're a good athlete, that you're also a good mover, especially for football purposes. And I think I can recognize the difference fairly well at this point ever, you know, just by sheer, you watch enough of these guys, you can look at verified numbers or see them run in a straight line and say, damn, that dude's fast, but he doesn't really move very well for a football player. And I think Emmanuel Henderson is edging very close to that category for me where I just flat out don't really love his his movement skills, his footwork as it relates to football. Now, those are things that you can clean up a little bit, you know, because he everything's wildcat for him. We have no snaps of him, you know, running any sort of routes or catching passes or taking a handoff and kind of being able to assess you know, what's going on around him based on that. So he is also very, very much a projection at this point. Um, but for a high school kid to have both of those issues and be the number two running back in the class, I just think is way off base. There are a bunch of guys. Like I, I've watched four running backs in that class. I'm not that far into that class. Don't be honest, but of the four, or I'll be honest, but of the four I've watched, I think he's my least favorite. And all the guys I watched were top 20 guys, uh, but you know, I, I, I just don't really like him. And the Bama offer, you know, it sticks in the back of your mind. I was talking to Adam Lewis a little bit yesterday on Twitter about it, and he said, you know, don't let that stick in your mind. I, I don't like him either. I don't think he's very good. Um, and a couple of the guys in the Discord also were kind of chiming and saying they were not impressed with him either. So in a year out, we'll see what he does as a senior. I'd like to see him not be a Wildcat quarterback anymore. You know, you can't find some guy out there to play quarterback and hand the ball to him. Like, does that really put you at that much of, much of a disadvantage from a numbers perspective, depending on what you're doing with the scheme? I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm with you. I like, I usually like to see some of the wildcat quarterbacks, but that's usually because I think that some of those wildcat quarterbacks do develop good vision. They do develop good patience where they can, you know, kind of figure out which hole is going to be the one that opens up because they know the offense as the quarterback. You know, so that kind of translates into when they're not the quarterback, they're still able to recognize which hole's going to open up and identify that. So that's something I normally like in a Wildcat quarterback, and I just don't see that at all in Henderson's. It's just, like I said, it's very much trying to get downhill and get outside as fast as possible. Yeah, the other th weird thing about him is his body type for a running back yes. is just very odd. Like, it's not um, uh, what uh, what I would necessarily want to be looking for in a high end running back, you know, I don't think he'll ever be the meatball kind of, you know, like the, the bowling ball that once they get going, you know, five ten, two twenty two. you know, he's not anywhere close to that. He's kind of lankier. Um, he's almost built like Adrian Peterson a little bit, like in that sense, but he's nowhere near that athlete. 
He does not run like he wants to murder you like Adrian Peterson does, which I think is a huge part of Adrian Peterson's success. Like I've never seen a guy that build, you know, in the past 20 years. He's really the only guy that I can think of that was built like that, that was really, really, really good in the NFL. And I think that's just because he plays so aggressively. And I didn't see that out of Henderson either. Um, so I, I'm not sure what's going to happen with him. you got to figure either way, he's probably not going to play a Bama for at least a year or two. So this might be a point where we don't really even have to think about it that much this time next year. Um, but yeah, like we said, just something, you know, so we should start paying to, paying attention to these 2022 classes because they will start filling up quickly here. Yeah. I think that with, like I said, I, I see him similarly to Wheaton in that they're both more athlete than running back right now, but I still like Wheaton even a little bit more than Henderson at this point in time. So you know, even assuming that, um, you know, Brian Robinson Jr. should be gone next year and Trey Sanders, maybe, who knows? Jace McClellan will still be there. Um, hard to say with Roy Dell Williams, too. But, you know, I, th- I think that ever that there's going to be still plenty of more talented backs in front of him next year. Yeah. Um, so that is it for news news. We are, you know, as we said earlier, it's spring football season. There are some teams that have started practice. The majority of teams have yet to do so or starting them like in the next day or two here. So we are going to weekly give you guys just some updates, like a, a kind of an overview, you know, really far out. There's just a couple of stories that stick out to us across the landscape. If you guys want more news, we are doing multiple 10 to 15 minute news shows every week for our members at the website only. And they cover way more in depth you know, way more stories, let's say. We might we might go more in-depth with one or two stories here on this show, uh, but we're going to give you more of the landscape just by the nature of having more shows to do that. So if you guys like this news, you find it useful and uh, actionable for you as you move forward with your fantasy teams, we do recommend that you guys hop over there, even if it's just for the spring, just to get some of this news as you guys head into startup and freshman draft season. Um, so a couple of the stories that we picked out to do today, um, Arizona state is one of the schools that has gotten multiple practices in already. And there are really two developments coming out of their camp. The first is the wide receiver battle. And, you know, last year Darby was supposed to be the main guy there did not play that much due to some injury things. And they only played four games. Anyway, Darby has moved on to the NFL. He's going to be in the draft here next month. So they really need to find a couple of guys here this offseason. Luckily for them, they brought in those four four-star kids in 2020, and we figure that those guys are probably going to see the most uh, uptick in production this year. And so which, if you can identify those guys early and get them before that depth chart becomes solidified, you're getting a steal. There are two names at the wide receiver position that it seems like most reporters have been focusing on. I'll let you talk about your guy, Colin. I'm just going to highlight, you know, we talked about LV Bunkley Shelton here on the show a few weeks ago. He is one of the two guys. He, I think, technically broke out this past year with 11 catches or nine catches for 100 yards or 11 catches. Well, I think it's 11 catches for 100 yards. <laughs> it's the sad state of affairs with, with only playing four games. And one of them was against Arizona where they basically were up like 40, 12 minutes in, and then they just ran the ball the rest of the game with the third stringers. So they really only played three games. Um, But Bunkley Shelton has been getting a lot of hype. You know, he's been one of the go-to guys. Hands look good. 
And I think that he has every opportunity. He should have already been on your radar anyway, but maybe you don't wait as long as you would have in a draft uh, because I think he's going to be a name that people aren't going to want to give up here sooner rather than later. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you you hit the nail on the head there with LV Bunkley Shelton. I like LV Bunkley Shelton. I really do. I think he's a very good slot receiver. I think he's just... There's not really a lot of other guys on the role, on the team that fill that role, so I think it's a very easy to see him step into that role on offense next year. Uh, with um, and, and I think that that'll work with Jaden Daniels as well because Jaden Daniels, I, I like him as a passer, so you know I think he can he can take advantage of some of those under the knee routes and some of the stuff that LV Bunkley Shelton's going to open up. But like you mentioned, the guy that I like and the guy that I liked more last year than LB Bunkley Shelton is Elijah Badgers. And he, Elijah Badger, is he was a th- uh, four star guy. Uh, he was the number three athlete. Uh, they weren't really sure if he was going to play corner or wide receiver. It's looking like he's going to end up playing wide receiver there. Um, and he just, they say, continues to stand out in practice. Um, now, he was academically ineligible last year. Um, they, they don't really say if it was because of grades or because of credits, but he was allowed to practice with them last year. And it, like I said, he was reportedly turning heads in practice last year as well. So the fact that he was still allowed to practice leads me to believe it might be something with a credit situation as opposed to just not being able to get his grades up. Um, so I don't, but I don't really know for sure on that one. But there's no talk of him being in trouble with being ineligible again this year. Uh, so it's looking like he, whatever it was, he has that all sorted out. And you know, the, the the coaches, especially the wide receiver coach, like they just can't stop gushing about this kid, and, and especially how athletic he is. But you know, the the one quote uh, from the wide receiver coach says uh, about Badger, he's just superior athletically. Uh, really, just has to clean up a lot of the technical things, but he plays hard. Definitely a playmaker, um, and I think we haven't seen the best of his ability because he looks really good with the ball in his hands. So, you know, they, they just keep trying to find ways to get him the ball, and I think that's a really good idea because he's just so dynamic of an athlete. Um, you know, that was he was listed as an athlete coming out, and he was not one of those guys where we mentioned before where it's like, you know, oh, yeah, he's an athlete because they can't really find a position for him. He was listed as an athlete because he's that good of an athlete. Like he could have been a potentially elite uh, corner or wide receiver. And I think him going to wide receivers is a good move on his end. And I really like his, like I said, his athleticism. He does need to clean up some of the technical ability as a wide receiver. Not a great route runner at this point in time. But, you know, if he can continue to take those steps forward like there and and just show out like he is in in practice, I think he's going to earn a nice role on that offense this year. Um, you know, potentially maybe even like a Brandon Ayuk type of a role from last year where you know, they they run a lot of like shorter stuff to him and and draw some up things up more specifically for him. But even if that's what it ends up being, I think he can still be very productive and he's somebody who's going pretty much free right now. So you're not going to have to spend a lot on Badgers, whereas LB Bunkley Shelton's a little bit more well known. Yeah, as much as I like Bunkley Shelton, you know, we are doing these 15 to 20 round mock drafts right now, and Badger has not gone in any of them yet. So um, at cost, uh, Badger way easier to get and has just as much upside as Bunkley Shelton. Regardless, I think both of those guys probably do pretty well next year. 
Um, but that offense is, there's a lot of weapons there, a lot of mouths to feed. So, you know, it could also be a case of, you know, no one really blows the doors off next year, uh, but they all become, or a couple of them become pretty solid pros. Um, just, just yeah, too many mouths to feed in that Arizona State offense. That's a weird thing to say, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, Arizona State's done a really nice job over the past couple of years since Herm Edwards got there, just kind of continually bringing in solid players, you know, they bring in like this that those receivers from last year. They were what LV Bunkley Shelton and Johnny Wilson were the two four stars, right? I think they were all four stars. Well, I know Badger was. Badger was an athlete. Um, and Chad Johnson Chad? Jr. was the other one. I think he was like one of the last four stars on okay. the list, maybe. I think. Okay. Yeah, I couldn't remember if he was a four star or not. I knew he was down there further. Yeah, um, he's a .8917, so number was number sixty two wide receiver in the class. I don't think there were that many guys below him that were still four stars. Okay, yeah. So, but either way, still you know four four star wide receivers they bring in, um, you know, and they they bring in some nice talent on defense as well each year. So they, you know, Herm Edwards has Arizona State as a as a nice program. They're building that out really nicely. Yeah, the only other news coming out of their camp is Jaden Daniels. And, you know, I think one of the big knocks, if you talk to really anybody about Jaden Daniels, is just going to be how much of a stick figure he is out there listed at 175 coming into college. Did not really seem that interested in gaining weight between year one, year two. And uh, quarantine would have been a really good excuse to do that. So I'm not really sure what he was doing. <laughs> uh, really a missed opportunity there. But he is supposedly up to 190 now. Now, I've seen p- the pictures of him from practice. I don't really believe that he's 190, but he does look a lot bigger than he did at 175. And he says, and the coaches say that the goal is to get him to 200 by the time the season starts. That's still small, but it isn't like ragdoll. Like you're really worried that if he gets hit too hard, he's just going to snap clean in half kind of size. So that's a good thing at least. Yeah. I mean, I think getting him up to 200, I think would be huge in my eyes because I mean, six foot three, two hundred is still kind of lanky, but like you said, you're not as worried about him snapping in half like a twig if he gets hit. But the thing with also with Jaden Daniels too is he's a very very smart runner. Um, you know, I've said it before, but he just he never really takes hits as a when he's running the ball. He always seems to step out of bounds. He always slides at a good time, so he's not taking hits head on too much. So. I think if he can get up to 200 pounds, which that's that's added 25 pounds, you know, which is that's impressive, especially if it's muscle and not, you know, quarantine weight like you or me, Um, you know, so I think that if he can get up to 200, that's a solid frame. It's not great, but it's solid. And like I said, with how smart he is as a runner, doesn't really take a ton of hits that checks off a big box for me that if he can get up to that level. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Um, and like I said, I will see if he actually ends up getting to that 200 or not. It seems like the last 15 pounds have been a struggle for him. So 10 more on top of that. I'm not convinced that he can, but if he does, uh, that why that QB three spots wide open next year. Um, so they could very well be him depending on what goes on. Um, pack 12, uh, buddies there, Cal, they <laughs> are, like of all the schools I was looking at the other day, they are like almost done with spring practice already. I'm not exactly sure why it is that they started so early, 
Um, there are basically three big storylines coming out of their practices right now. Um, the first is Jermaine Terry, and he's a guy that we talked about. Um, Colin, I think you broke down Cal's class on here a month or so ago as like a, a recruiting class that's a little under the radar that you really liked, and we did talk about uh, Terry, who's like the number six tight end, I think, in the class this year. Um, pretty good athlete, but kind of like a Jalen Widermeyer level athlete and not like a Brevin Jordan or a Kyle Pitts level athlete. Um, he has been making waves at camp. He's one of the few freshmen that's actually there on campus as an early enrollee, and he has taken advantage of it. The coaching staff has said that he is getting a lot of run this spring at what Cal calls their Y position, which is an inline tight end. And they are asked to block, but also run some routes on top of that. So kind of like Jalen Weidermeyer, to be completely honest, how they use him at Texas A&M. Sounds like how they envision using Terry at Cal. Um, Terry was, we called him raw a couple weeks ago, and I think he is. And I think the coaches have backed that statement up in the interviews that they've done. But it's just nice to hear that they like him enough that he's getting a lot of run at the position. And I think we figure maybe we accelerate that timeline a little bit in terms of his, you know, maybe he's not, you know, it's hard to get a freshman tight end doing anything for fantasy purposes, but him at least being on the field will be good. Yeah. Well, like you said, it's, you know, getting anything out of a freshman tight end is, is good and getting anything out of a tight end at all in college is good. So if, you know, if you're getting a guy who's a freshman who has the physical tools you know, and is an early enrollee as a freshman, and he checks off some of those boxes in an offense that doesn't really have a you know star receiving threat. You know, it's it's a pretty pretty up in the air wide receiver pecking order. Um, you know, he could carve out a nice little role, and I don't think there's any reason why he couldn't bring in 30 catches, 25, 30 catches this year as a freshman tight end. You know, that's great, and you're now you're looking at him being, you know, a pretty big value from. You know, you're increasing pretty significantly in value from now till the time next year if he can pull that off. So, you know, just for the sheer nature of the position where it's always up in the air, you know, you always want to keep an eye on a freshman tight end uh, who's making some wave like the waves like this. Yeah. Um, other big storyline for pass catchers there has been Jeremiah Hunter, who has been rumored to be the best receiver at camp. Uh, Hunter was a three-star in last year's class out of Fresno. He was the 88th wide receiver um, in the composite, and they were really excited for him last year. I can remember him. His name started to kind of bubble up a little bit um, before the season, and uh, the coaches said th this year that if he hadn't gotten hurt last year that he probably would have played a significant role for them. He got hurt, and they only had four games. So, you know, any, any injury that was more than stubbing your toe, you probably were out <laughs> the rest of the year. Uh, but they've said that he looks like the best receiver on the field there. And I think it would not be shocking to see him be the leading receiver on that team. I, there really is not much returning production there. I know people have been hyping up Kakoa Crawford. I'm not that big of a fan of Crawford personally, and it doesn't sound like he's been doing that much in camp. So. Hunter could be the guy there, and I think he's free in a league right now. So you can probably go pick him up off waivers, or if you're doing a draft, you can get him in the very, very, very last rounds. And it could be a leading receiver on the team. 
Yeah, exactly. I think, I mean, I know he's he's free in our league, um, in our one big C2C that we're in with the IDP, and it's like, what, like 40? It's, it's a lot of roster spots. Uh, but I know he's free in that one because um, I just checked not too long ago <laughs> after he put this up on the show sheet. But, yeah, I mean, he's at, at his current value. It's It costs you nothing to go get him, and you could potentially get the wide receiver one on a decent – offense but an offense that i think is going to play faster this year than they are the year than they did last year um you know they have bill musgrave coming in to 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 help with the offense there so i think that this is not going to be your typical cal offense where you're not where there really isn't anybody that you're interested in um you know it, like it has been the past couple years you know with chad hansen was that the last uh the last relevant cal wide receiver it's the last one I can think of. Yeah, Demetrius Robertson had one year that was really big. I think that was right. after, I think that was post Chad Hansen, and then he transferred to Georgia and has just okay. totally fallen apart since then. Right. So but it's been a little while since they've had a receiver you want, but I think this is offense that's going to take a step forward. So they may have one of those guys this year, and I think Hunter could definitely be that guy. Yeah, especially with um, you know, we talked about J. Michael Sturdivant and Maven Anderson being two guys that are wide receivers coming in, both four stars that we like. Neither are early enrollees, so he's getting the jump on those guys. It's just going to be a very interesting year because I think there's a lot of guys that maybe would have been early enrollees in years past, but either you know school was messed up for them with everything or their season was kicked to spring and they want to play there, like Sam Heward over at Washington <laughs> is doing that. There's a lot of guys doing that, um, and especially you know Cal recruits California, and California is one of the states that pushed – season back to uh to spring so um taking advantage you know guys there are some guys that can take advantage of being the guy in spring and uh really take that into the regular season yeah i definitely think hunter could be one of those guys too yeah the uh the other news out of cal and this is not necessarily something that i'm telling you to go out and get this guy or to drop anybody but they're saying that chase garbers has struggled and they have, from the reports that I've read, they've been saying that the backup quarterback, Zach Johnson, who is a second-year guy on the roster, has looked better than Garbers in virtually every single way. I don't know how much of that is, you know, Garbers going up against the ones and Johnson going up against the twos. I honestly really don't have a breakdown of that to provide to give any sort of additional context with that. I just have seen Garbers has thrown several interceptions, has, has looked shaky. Johnson has not. Um the coaching staff is not saying that there's a competition though. The coaching staff is saying, you know, Garbers is the guy. So I don't think this is a case of you can go sneaky, get the the guy that's actually going to be the starter for Cal this off season. And, you know, they have a four-star kid coming in this year. Um, Kai Milner, who is not an early enrollee again. So not on campus to compete with Johnson, but Johnson might be the, the, backup it might be the guy that once garbers probably leaves next offseason becomes the guy so keep him on your, your watch list and in the last week of the season if you're looking for a quarterback stash and you have an extra roster spot and a musgrave offense he just might be a guy that you you tack on to the end of your bench and hope that the offseason shakes out however you hope it does yeah i'm not I mean, it's definitely a note to make with Garbers there. You know, just something to keep in mind that he's, you know, hasn't looked great early on in spring here. Uh, but they haven't really, like, 
it's not like they're going out of their way to hype up Zach Johnson and they're saying, oh my gosh, this guy looks incredible. Like, you know, he, he could really push Garbers. They're saying he looks improved, which is really nice. But like you said, you know, how much of that is being versus the ones versus the twos, you know, and you know, how improved does he look like? Is it enough that it's actually going to jump Garbers? I don't think he is. I think Garbers is pretty entrenched there. I mean, he came back for a reason, uh, you know, he could have left this year. So, you know, I think he comes back. I, I think he's still going to stick around. I think he's going to be the, the starter on that offense. I'd be very surprised if he wasn't. Um, but, you know, he's so Musgrave was there this past year, um, you know, in 2020. But he, by all reports, he didn't really have time to put in the offense that he wants to put in. So I think this is a bit of a newer offense that Garbers is learning here. So, Maybe that's contributing to the struggles. I, I'm not entirely sure, but you know, I think that this is, like I said, something to note, but not something to overreact on, like you were saying. Yes. Um, <clears throat> so that is about all that's coming out of Cal. Right now, there's some other little stuff, but I don't think it's anything that's significant for C2C purposes. The last little piece of news that we want to talk about here is surrounding De'Ara King at Miami. They kicked off practice today, I believe, was the, the first one of the offseason for them. But they are saying it's being reported. Um, the first place that I saw it was by uh, Manny Navarro over at The Athletic that's saying that King is smashing every benchmark in his rehab from a torn ACL. We had surgery about eight weeks ago. And that the, he is on pace to return to seven-on-seven seven drills by the summer which is good because they you know they bring in Charleston Rambo to match up with him and they have just a lot of other uh, chemistry issues I feel like there between wide receiver and quarterback and not a lot behind him on the depth chart let's be completely honest so having him back sooner rather than later um, figures to you know boost his value where now you're you're thinking he can probably get a full season in and maybe some of these skill position guys around him can finally be elevated a little bit yeah, I mean, I think this is fantastic news for King, um, smashing rehab like that, because, you know, a late season ACL tear like that, like, I mean, I'll be honest, I was, I know they said that he was, uh, you know, they thought he was going to be able to play in the fall, you know, right when he did it, they were like, you know, we think he'll be able to be ready. But I mean, that's just so difficult to do because that was, that's basically going to be like a nine month recovery. Uh, you know, from when he injured it to when the season would start. So, you know, I think that's pretty tough to do. But by all accounts, I mean, he's just been tearing up the rehab and smashing every benchmark and every goal that they put to in front of him. And they've actually had to back him off in, uh, you know, according to some of the things that I've been reading, they've had to back him off of his intensity with this rehab. He's still only two months out basically from his surgery. So, you know, you do need to slow that down a little bit because you could do some potentially re-injure yourself. So, you know, I think it's fantastic that he's going to be ready. Um, and I think it's a big boon for those wide receivers, like you were saying, and, and him as in Derek King in general as well. He's a guy that I was probably going to be passing on in most startups, just under the assumption that I wasn't sure how ready he would be. But with this news already coming out that he's ahead of where he's expecting to be and he's really pushing himself and he's really taking this rehab seriously, you know, I think that that makes me a little bit more interested in him and a little bit more interested in those receivers. You're muted. 
Yeah. Yeah. So that's something to monitor here. Um, and we will be paying attention to those practices here over the next week and potentially have something to talk about uh, next weekend when we record. Um, so let's get into just some of the other information here on the show. We do have a freshman profile again here for you guys, two of them, one from each of us. We're going to wrap up the show with those here this evening. Um, and but we are returning with our G5 dives segment. We are going to look at a G5 offense here this evening. And we chose Fresno mostly because Felix won't shut up about Jake Hayner, <laughs> but also just because I think they are an offense that's very intriguing in all facets at every position, you know, quarterback, running back, wide receiver. So um, it's, it's a good one to get into here this evening. Um, so without further ado here, their head coach um, has been there for, this is his second year uh, at Fresmo. Uh, yeah, Fresmo. Fresmo. Fresno. <laughs> Kalen DeBoer. He is, he has an offensive coordinator background and he has generally been very successful everywhere he's been. He, his first division one coaching gig was at Eastern Michigan who was just an absolute joke when he got there. They were averaging like 12 points a game the year before he got there. First year and a half or so were shaky but improved, and then he got them up to like 28, 29 points per game by the end of his tenure there. Um, then was the offensive coordinator of Fresno, went to Indiana for a year, then back to Fresno. So we have a pretty good idea of what his offenses generally entail what it, and what to expect from them in 2020 we'll start with quarterback uh, like we always do probably the most important position and this is felix's jake hayner a guy that um really did really really well last year you know in six games he put up a little over 2,000 yards 14 touchdowns five interceptions another three touchdowns on the ground but don't make no mistakes he is not mobile at really at all uh, at least you know as like an actual rushing threat um hayner is former four-star went to Washington for a year or two and then transferred over to Fresno. Um, and so he will be draft eligible in 2022. Colin, um, do you have any thoughts on, on Hayner uh, for 2021? Yeah. So after, uh, you know, after Felix stood on his podium and, and preached for uh, stood on the pulpit, preached for Hayner there, you know, I went in and watched him a little bit more. Um, I watched two games I watched UNLV and I watched Utah State from 2020 here. Um, shout out to Matt Loves Ball on YouTube. Thanks for clipping up some of the highlights for that one too. Um, but, you know, so I watched him and I do need to watch more. But my impression is he's a solid college quarterback who I think is going to give you some really nice value late in your drafts. But I don't really think I see an NFL prospect right now. Uh, I think he maneuvers the pocket pretty well. You know, he climbs the pocket when he feels rushed. You know, he can take off. He could pick up some chunks here and there. But like you said, he's not like a true dual threat quarterback. Uh, you know, you're not he's not like you're not designing runs for him. Uh, I think he pros, throws pretty well on the move and he sh has flashed some ability to create outside of structure. Um, you know, he looks good in the short to intermediate areas, looks solid in the intermediate areas, but he doesn't really throw deep too often, at least in the two games that I saw. But I will say I don't think he has a very strong arm. Uh, I think it's edge of NFL caliber, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's a question mark for sure. And he doesn't really move through progressions too well. You know, he seems to take off pretty early if his first read isn't there and 
you know, there's occasions where he'll force passes to his first read. Uh, but, you know, I, last year he finished as the QB 19 in fantasy with 25.9 fantasy points per game. So it was just behind Mac Jones and it was just ahead of Malik Cunningham and Spencer Rattler. So, you know, he gives you some nice uh, fantasy value there. And Fresno State's offense last year, they were the number 17 total offense in points per game, number five passing offense in points per game. Um, so, you know, there's definitely some value to be had there. Now, I think that those numbers are going to come back down a little bit with a bigger sample size and with another year. Uh, because just for reference, in 2019, they were the number 70 passing offense, and the number 68 rushing offense. And in 2018, they were the number 29 passing offense. So it fluctuates a little bit. I think you're probably going to see him settle closer to that number 30 passing offense than the number five from the past year. But it's still a very productive offense. I still think it's an offense you're going to want some pieces of. And, you know, Jay Kaner is not a guy who was drafted at all in the first 15 rounds of any of the mocks from February. So his ADP is non-existent right now. So, you know, unless you're in a league with Felix, who's probably going to take him in like the sixth round, you know, you might uh, you, you might be able to snag Hayner late, and he'll provide you some very nice value uh, at the quarterback position. Yeah, so I'm going to push back on a lot of what you just said about the offense as a whole. I agree with your assessment of Hayner more or less. I'm not sure he's an NFL prospect. I think that last year is a perfect jumping off point for what we can project this offense to do going forward. They had a very low strength of schedule last offseason, but it doesn't really figure to be any tougher this year. The Mountain West. Even if you know there's teams that play them a little bit tougher next year, it's a wide open conference, a very high scoring games generally, a lot of pass happy attacks. So I think just based on that and the fact that you know you talked about you know in 2019 they were down, in 2018 they were up. Guess which year DeBoer was there? Guess which year DeBoer wasn't there? And then guess which year DeBoer <laughs> came back? It was there 18, he was gone 19, he came back 20. You can directly see the influence that he's had on that offense with a lot of the same guys. I would I so I. I've been char- charting out these offenses a little bit and to call it this any, like a model would be like just way too kind <laughs> of words for what I'm doing. Um, but I'm, I'm basically just going through the history of DeBoer's offenses and basically trying to figure out, you know, what is the average performance by his quarterbacks, his running backs, his wide receivers? What is the growth from year one to year two in his offenses for players and for the offense as a whole? And then what can we reasonably project within those numbers going into 2021? So my findings for Hayner. So if you take out, he has seven division one offenses or years that he's probably either been in charge of the offense or had a major say in what was going on with it. I took out for, I, I included it in the totals, but you discount the first year at Eastern Michigan. Cause like I said, none of those guys were his and that team sucked really, really, really bad. His quarterback that year, Reggie Bell, only threw for 1,300 yards, nine touchdowns, six interceptions. Really not very good. Um, but 2015, he got a kid named Brogan Roback there, and he had him as his quarterback for the next two years. He you know, averaged about 12 fantasy points per game that year. His second year in the offense, though, he averaged 20. There was a lot of growth there, both yard, you know, yardage, touchdown, completion percentage, um, and rushing totals all went up from year one to year two for Mr. Roback. Oh, then he went to Fresno, his first stint there as the offensive coordinator. His quarterback's name was Marcus McMarion. And same thing. His first year there, he averaged about 15 fantasy points per game. Second year there, about 22. 
saw growth in passing yardage, completion percentage, touchdown, touchdown to interception ratio, basically the same rushing totals, had a few more rushing touchdowns. Those probably aren't particularly sticky, but regardless, huge growth from year one to year two. Went to Indiana in 2019, had about half a season of Penix and half a season of Peyton Ramsey. Almost 4,000 yards between the two of those guys. The two of them average about 25 fantasy points per game. And then you saw him with Hayner last year, average 25 points again per game from the quarterback position. In six games, he put up, like I said, about 2,000 yards, 14 touchdowns. Now, I think, you know, you can't just sit here and go, well, they played six games last year, so if they played 12 next this year, you, you know, you double it, and now all the stats are double, and, and whoopee, you know, same thing. But even if you only project him, you know, no growth, which we've seen growth from all the other quarterbacks that have had a second year in, in his, DeBoer's offenses, that would mean that Hayner throws for about 4,400 yards, about 30 touchdowns, 11 interceptions, and another five to seven rushing touchdowns. That's a really good year. And that that's with no growth. If you factor in some of the growth from earlier, you know, we could see him get close, you know, 4,800 yards, I don't think is out of the question and 32 to 35 touchdowns. At that point, you're talking about a guy that scores 300 and 325 fantasy points in a season. That's a great year. If you look at last year's quarterbacks, that puts him as quarterback seven, six, seven, that's going super, super cheap in drafts that if you're pushing to win a college side, I think you could do a lot worse than Jake Hayner going into 2021. Yeah, no, I mean, I definitely think you could do a lot worse than, than Hayner uh, going into 2021. Um, I think he's a great value right now for sure, without a doubt there. But, you know, and, and I don't doubt that, you know, there's definitely going to be room for growth for Hayner on the offense. But I also think there's some room for regression. I don't know if I see them being the number five passing attack again. Um, you know, I think that that's not necessarily unrepeatable, but like it, most teams don't repeat a top five finish. Um, you know, they, they probably hang around, you know, 15, top 15, 20 year in, year out consistently, but you know, there's some ebb and flow with, with a lot of the offenses. So I think that, you know, projecting them for the number five passing offense again is a little ambitious. Uh, I, but I don't think there's any reason why they couldn't, like I said, finish in that 15 to 20 range, which is still a jump from the 2018 year and is still going to provide some really nice value for you and some nice stats there for Hayner as well. Yeah. So running back uh, on the roster, I actually really, really like their basically their entire entire stable of running backs at Fresno. It's kind of feels like a <laughs> odd thing to claim or to say, but I really, really do outside of Ronnie rivers, who shocked everybody a little bit, I think, by coming back for a super senior year here. Um, you know, he's back with his running mate, uh, Jordan Mims, who they've both been there for like three years together and she kind of shared that backfield. Mims probably going to settle into the RB2. I really like um, uh, Jordan Wilmore, who's transferring from Utah and will be somewhere on the depth chart this year. I'm not really sure. And we talked about Jordan Hornbeak as a true freshman going in there a month or two ago on the show that, so, I mean, and they have some other guys beyond that. I really, really like their running backs, but I think regardless rivers is the guy to have there. I'm in a CFF mock right now, and I'm pretty sure rivers went round one in that he was one of the first running backs off the board for good reason. Last season in six games, 507 rushing yards, seven touchdowns, 27 catches, 265 yards, and another two touchdowns there. Averaged right around 22 points per game, depending on what your scoring settings are. 
Um, so, you know, again, one of those where, you know, we don't want to just sit there and double everything from six games to 12 and call it a day in terms of his projections. But I have him projected for about 1,100 rushing yards, about 15 touchdowns, another four or five in the air, and about 30 catches for 450 yards. So altogether, 1,500 to 1,600 yards and about 17 touchdowns, 17 to 20 touchdowns, you know, I don't, I think is within a, a, uh, you know, a doable range. And that would put him at about 26 fantasy points per game, which would have been one of the top running backs in fantasy last year. Yeah. I really like uh, Ronnie rivers there. I think that he's another guy who is a really good value. Like you said, in the CFF mock um, that you're in, he went in the first round conversely he got taken in one draft from ours in february and he was taken at 99 so he has an adp of 99 technically but he only got drafted once um you know based on that adp data there so you know he's going undrafted in some other ones and that's in 15 rounds so he's going to get taken eventually but you know for a guy who's going to put up that kind of production you know who put up i think it was rb8 last year or like inside the top 10 running backs from fantasy points per game last year. Uh, you know, for for a guy like that, you know, he's still a really nice value right now. And he was this he had the second most receptions on their team last year. So he's very involved in that passing attack. Uh, they don't really have a standout prototypical wide receiver that they lean on like they have in, you know, a couple of years past. Now I know this is like going back a ways, but you know, Devontae Adams, Keyshawn Johnson was there. So you know, they have had a couple prototypical wide receivers. They don't have one of those right now, really. Um, so, you know, I think Ronnie Rivers can definitely keep a good chunk of that passing game. You know, he can keep a good chunk of that rushing attack as well. And the only guys that are ahead of him in returning production, um, at least according to like the, I'm not sure exactly where the stats you were pulling from. I just pulled directly from our league, one league's fan tracks. The only. The only running backs that are ahead of him that are coming back are Mo Ibrahim, Brees Hall, and Rashad White. Demonte so, Truggle. Demonte Truggle. Okay. Chuggle, From Chuggle Ohio. Back as well. Yeah. Okay. So four guys are ahead of him, but he's still, you know, looking at easily top 10 RB production again. And for where he's going, you know, you can't ask for a better value than that. Yeah. He goes way later than a lot of those other guys. Um, I really think this guy's the limit. I, Really don't appreciate the the uh, the Jalen Cropper slander, and we'll have to talk about that here in a second. <laughs> well, I said prototypical wide receiver. Mm, prototypical, yeah. You got to throw that that modifier on there so you can say whatever you I want. Mean, we'll talk about that in a sec. We'll talk about that in a second. But there's a reason he's not a prototypical wide receiver. Oh, whatever. I guess 160 isn't considered prototypical. Yeah. <laughs> whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was gonna say I weighed more than him in like the eighth grade. Yeah, but I've seen you in eighth grade, and you were a chubby kid. <laughs> touche, touche. Uh, <laughs> you're not wrong. <laughs> thick. We'll call you. You were a thick kid. <laughs> yeah, he's he's six foot too. So I was not yeah. six. I'm not six yeah. foot now. I was definitely not six foot then. Yeah, he's a scrawny guy. Um, but regardless, yeah, you have to figure Rivers is the guy. Um, like I said, Mims will get touches, you know, last year they, they split, um, touches, you know, decently rivers had a hundred catches and or a hundred carries and 27 catches. Mims had 28 carries and 10 catches. So obviously, you know, rivers is getting 
70 or you know a little higher than that percent but that's still a decent amount of touches for mims and i think you can reasonably uh project him into rivers spot obviously not at the same level should something happen to rivers um so just you know watch list mims and if rivers goes down then then go grab grab him as a cheap replacement they can put up some points for you um so wide re- i guess we'll just slide right into wide receiver here at this point and wide receiver is the one position i haven't fully mapped out for DeBoer offenses yet um but i do know that he's generally had some decent ones you know he had wap filer had that really 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 big year um with indiana there when he was there um and cropper had a pretty nice year uh, last season um in Six those six games, he had 37 catches, 520 yards, and five touchdowns. Um, he's dynamic. He's your he's your typical G5, you know, high end scoring receiver that you know, probably doesn't really have much of an NFL future. Um, but like neither really does Hayner. And quite frankly, as much as I like Ronnie Rivers, and I think he's probably of the three, probably the best prospect, but I don't really think he has much of an NFL future either. So, um, you know, these aren't guys where you're, you're building for your NFL squad, but um, Cropper certainly has um, the opportunity to, um, to score big next year in that offense. Yeah, and one of the other things with Cropper, too, is, I mean, he was a three-star guy coming out, but he was an athlete. So, you know, he didn't play the wide receiver position much. And the year before in 2019, as a true freshman, um, you know, he had 15 catches for 196 yards receiving, but then he also had 343 yards rushing and three touchdowns rushing as a freshman too. So, you know, he was used in in a bit of a unconventional role two years ago in 2019. And I think it was really encouraging to see him move into more of a traditional wide receiver role this year. Now, obviously they, they did use him a little bit, a little bit as a runner. They gave him four carries. So, you know, they use him on some end arounds occasionally, but you know, mostly just a wide receiver role there. And he really came on at the end of the year. I finished the three games last year with three straight hundred yard games at the end of the season, including 10 catches for 202 yards and three touchdowns against Utah state. So, he really turned it on at the end of the year. Uh, you know, he finished as the wide receiver 30 last year in fantasy points per game. Um, again, at least in our fan track and the one fan tracks league that I pulled this up off of. Um, but he had 17.3 points per game and 14 of the wide receivers who finished ahead of him are going to be gone. So he's definitely has some room for growth up there. Um, you know, I think he can take a bigger chunk of the wide receiver pie a little bit, so to speak there. I mean, I, and it's, I think it's very reasonable to project him for, you know, probably 50 to 60 catches. You know, I think you could see 900 to 1,000 yards, you know, maybe 10, 8 to 10 touchdowns. I think it's pretty reasonable. And at that point, you're looking at a very high-end wide receiver talent that I've literally never heard anybody mention him before the show. Like, I didn't really look into him that closely. Uh, I'm sure he's probably free in pretty much every league out there. So, you know, he's a guy that from a pure tape perspective, I am definitely going to need to look into him more because I really didn't dig into him specifically. I was just kind of checking him out when I saw Hayner. But, you know, I mean, he's he's a screaming value with those numbers. And I'm sure, like I said, he's probably undrafted in the vast majority of leagues. 
Yeah, this is an offense that is definitely discounted. You can get a lot of these guys for cheap. You know, if you miss out on Nevada's offense, we talked about a couple of weeks ago, or, um, you know, even like East Carolina that we've talked about on here, this is another offense flying under the radar with cheap, cheap players that can, you know, really be the difference between you uh, barely making the playoffs or winning the whole thing, which is how their, their potential to blow up any given week. Um <clears throat> Yeah, I think the Mountain West is is a great value for that. Um, you know, they had the Mountain West had three teams last year in the top twenty of passing yards per game, and Fresno State, Nevada, and San Jose State. So, you know, there's there's offenses out there in the Mountain West that kind of get forgotten about. You know, people forget about the pack the the Pac twelve, but people definitely forget about the Mountain West, especially if it's not Boise that they're talking about. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of value out there in the Mountain West to be had as well. Yeah. So let's go into our final little um, segment here of the night. We promised freshman profiles, and that's what we are going to wrap things up with. Colin, you have a newfound love. <laughs> um, you won't stop talking about him, so just go ahead and get it over with. And, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, just, I came across this guy last week. I think it was, what, Thursday night, I think, at like 1 o'clock in the morning. Uh, I found him. And I was just blown away when I first watched him. You know, it, it inspired me. I wrote an article pretty much immediately. I'm still clipping together some. The article itself is done. I'm still clipping together some some gifts to throw in there. Uh, you know, some some plays to highlight. But uh, the guy I'm going to talk about is uh, Aaron McLaughlin, uh, quarterback going to NC State. Uh, he's the six five two nineteen, and he looks every bit of that. Uh, he's a four-star guy, uh, number 16 pro-style quarterback. Uh, he's coming from Denmark High School in Georgia, uh, which is listed as 7A. And I'm not exactly sure how like the classifications go in Georgia, like which one's the top. The highest. It's the highest. Seven's Seven. the highest. Okay, that's what I thought. Um, so, yeah, so he's coming from the highest classification in Georgia. And Georgia has very good high-level high, high school football. Uh, he threw for... Uh, 200 134 passes for 134 completions on 220 passes for 2018 yards 17 TDs seven interceptions uh 79 carries 284 yards and nine touchdowns as a junior uh as a senior uh numbers dropped off a bit um you know 107 for 184 for 1500 yards his completion percentage dropped to 58.2 which is not something you Love to see uh, his. He did have 21 touchdowns to seven interceptions, uh, 131 carries, 652 yards, and six touchdowns as a senior. Uh, so he has that dual threat capability there as well that you like to see, even though he is a pro style quarterback. Uh, but I mean, this this is a kid who had 31 offers, including offers from Bama, Auburn, Florida, Miami, UNC, Michigan, Texas A&M, Georgia. USC. So he had some big time offers. Uh, he was committed to Auburn and then backed off that commit and ended up, um, you know, committing to NC state. So when you watch this kid right off the bat, first thing you see is this kid has an absolute cannon. Uh, you know, he on the move rolling out to his left, heaves a ball 55 yards on a rope, drops it right in his wide receiver's lap, leads a wide receiver pretty well. Um, you know, it, and that's just his first play on his highlight tape. And the, the rest of them are just riddled with that. 
So he's an extremely dynamic athlete for the quarterback position. Uh, he routinely outruns some players. He has a little bit of shiftiness to his game as well for a quarterback. You know, he'll make a guy miss or two if he needs to. Uh, but at 6'5", 219, you know, he's a sturdy runner. He can take a hit. You know, he'll lower his shoulder. He'll take some hits at times, which is not something you necessarily want to see at the college level, but he can do it. Um, he does run a little bit high, and he is a bit more of a strider. So I don't necessarily know how much that athletic, uh, like there's just the scrambling is going to, you know, pl- come into play at the next level and how much of a, a tr- how much of a true dual threat he'll be at the next level. But either way, he'll def. I, I don't doubt that his athleticism is going to translate into him being able to pick up nice yards, at least Joe Burrow esque yards on the ground. That I think is a worst case scenario for him. Um, but the one of the other things that just stands out with him too is this kid is just dynamic outside of the pocket. You know, he creates routinely, uh, you know, when plays break down and he has a very good deep ball, um, especially on the move. His deep ball is insane, but just overall his deep ball, he'll he'll drop it right in the bucket too. So he's a very good vertical passer, produces really well outside of uh, structure. Now he does need to clean up a little bit of his mechanics a little bit. He's got a little bit of a wonky throwing motion and his lower mechanics, lower body mechanics look off a little bit at times. Got a little bit of a leg kick, um, but I don't particularly see any reason why that's not something he'll clean up. Uh, I think you can reasonably project guys like that to kind of clean up mechanics as they get into, uh, you know, the um, college programs with some of the college quarterbacks, coaches. So I- I'm not too worried about that. And then the next thing you need to see is a little bit more consistency. Because like I said, he flashes some big time plays that just make you go wow in like the first 30 seconds of his tape. Um, but he does need to clean up and be a little bit more consistent with those. Uh, the other thing I really like about him is, I mean, he's an early enrollee, uh, but his his situation and uh, the quarterback at NC State, Devin Leary, he was injured last year, mid-year with a broken fibula. Now they're saying he's going to be ready uh, for spring ball. He should be ready when that starts up. But, you know, he still is coming off of an injury. You know, there's no guarantee he's going to be physically or mentally up to, you know, where he was before. And then the guy who replaced Leary after he got hurt, Bailey Hockman, he transferred from Florida State to NC State last year. He got benched briefly for a time for true freshman Ben Finley. Uh, Ben Finley didn't really do anything. He's Ryan Finley's younger brother. Um, He played one game. He had 143 yards, one touchdown, two picks. Um, so then they brought Bailey Hockman back in, but he didn't really do anything either. And he's in the transfer portal again. He's gone. He's the middle Tennessee state. So it really comes down to McLaughlin and Leary. And I don't see any reason why McLaughlin already on campus. I think he could beat out Leary reasonably. Um, or, you know, if he doesn't, you know, he sits behind Leary for a year, Leary leaves and then McLaughlin steps in. So McLaughlin's a guy who, I mean, you're going to have to check out my uh, rankings when they come out, when we do put the update, but he's going to be in my top five now. Yeah, I um, the only thing I have to add there is that usually, so I usually use this sentence I'm about to use as an insult, and I don't mean it that way in this particular <laughs> context. When I, I usually say this guy throws a very catchable ball. And usually when I say that, it means that they don't have very good arm strength or that they're kind of just like, yeah, <laughs> screw it, throwing it up, whoever catches it, catches it. 
he throws like the most weirdly catchable ball. Like I said, in the, he's in the backyard playing catch, but like at the same time, like there's urgency behind it. So it is a very, very, very odd combination. And it's very weird to describe. But then if you go watch him with that in mind, you'll be like, yeah, he like that. That ball does look like it's just, it's just sitting there perfectly for this guy to go and get it wherever he needs to get it. I did want to see some more uh, driven throws, you know, and, and related to that. There were one or two that I saw, but I, there's definitely, I want to see more of that out of him. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think he looks pretty solid. Um, NC State doesn't necessarily excite me for him, but at the same time, I think it's better than him going to Auburn or Bama and sitting there for a year or two. So. Yeah, and I think you're talking about those driven throws. There was he definitely does need to see more of those. But did you see? Did you get to the point in his tape where he has that disgusting comeback route on the opposite side of the field? Uh, his his wide receiver runs. It's probably about a 20 yard comeback route, and he just opposite hash just drops it right in, anticipates it very well, and it's a bullet hits him right in his hands. That was one of the other plays that really impresses me. That's one that I'm going to have clipped up for the article, but. Um, no, I, I'm with you there. You definitely need to see more in the intermediate area. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. So that's, um, that's Aaron McLaughlin. Um, I chose a guy that doesn't really excite me that much tonight to be completely honest. Um, but we got to talk about all these guys. So at some point we're just, that's the nature of doing these. We're going to come across some guys that we don't really care so much about, but the people want to know. So (laughs) we got to give them what they want. Um, so I am going to just talk a little bit about, um, and I'm going to butcher his last name, no matter what way I say this, uh, but it's Audric Esteem or Estime or Estime. I don't know exactly how you say it. So apologies to him if he's a listener um, that I've that I've messed his last name up so bad. Um, he is six one and a half two fifteen out of St. Joseph Regional in Montvale, New Jersey. He is a four-star in the 24-7 composite, the the, uh, number 11 running back over there. Um, His senior year in high school, in eight games, he ran for 1,862 yards, 24 touchdowns, and had about another 200 in the air. So um, a very, very prolific high school player, which is nice to see, you know, obviously not all of those guys that rack up the stats in high school do anything in college, but you know, if you see a guy dominating, it makes you feel feel a little better about, you know, thinking about him playing a little bit in college. Um, he was thought to be a Michigan State commit and then ended up picking Notre Dame kind of at the last minute. Um, and I don't think he'll get that much playing time there, at least as a freshman. He'll be behind uh, Kyron Williams and Chris Tyree, who both project differently than as a skill set than he does. But I just don't think his skill set is necessarily going to be needed there this year. And what I mean by his skill set, um, he is just a physical guy. You know, he's, he's a big boy. He's not afraid to hit somebody. He can drag some people. That's not to say that that's all he does. You know, he's not out there just running straight up the gut, like Mike Allstott. And then just like dragging four <laughs> guys as he just you know, has the football up against his chest, but he's not like, I think that's going to be his calling card. You know, he's not a, a crazy dynamic athlete. His long speed is okay. I don't think he's a home run threat here in college or in the NFL should he make it to that level. Um, But he can do a little bit of the chunk play stuff. You know, it's a Cody Brown situation, maybe in terms of his athletic ability, in my opinion, lateral agility, the same. It's okay. It's not. I honestly wish it was a little bit better for his size, to be completely honest. I've seen some 215, 220 pound high school backs that I think move much better than he does. 
Um, so I am interested to see what Notre Dame kind of develops him into um, in terms of his athletic ability, uh, getting him in a college weight room and a college uh, diet plan over the next couple of years. Um, I think he has pretty good hands from the couple of catches that I saw him make, but it's really hard to say the offense didn't really use him that much in that regard. So he's kind of a mystery at this point in terms of, in terms of being a pass catcher. I'm not that high on him as a whole. You know, I, he, I said he's the number 11 running back in the composite. He doesn't rank that high for me. I haven't completely finished my running back rankings, but he's lower than 15 in my rankings. Um, I'm not exactly sure where he'll shake out, but I wouldn't imagine, you know, I'd imagine it's somewhere around running back 20. And I think he's probably going to go earlier than that just because every league has a Notre Dame fan fan in it somewhere. Um, And uh, just his, you know, his ranking as a whole is going to bump him a little higher than I'm willing to take him. Could he be a good player in college? Yes, I think he could. It's going to be at least a year before we see anything out of him. Um, and I just, with his profile, I struggle to see him being a lead back at a school like Notre Dame. Um, but who knows, you know, crazier things have happened with some of these guys, just not a guy that I'm actively looking to draft this year. I suppose there is a point that he could fall to that I'd be comfortable taking him. I'm just not exactly sure what that point would be. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you brought him up. Like, you know, you know, we can't, can't be sunshine and roses on everybody. You know, we do have to talk about some of these guys that maybe we're not as high on and why we're not as high on them too. But yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. I'm not a huge fan of his. Um, I was just looking quickly. I have him, and this is just in the overall running back rankings. Um, I have him as my RB 75. Um, so I'm not, not super interested in him either from, you know, a, a C2C standpoint at all. Uh, I, I'm not going to end up with him on any leagues either, just because he doesn't really have the wiggle that I'm looking for. I mean, like you said, he's he looks okay in the speed department, but he's not very fluid. Doesn't really make anybody miss. Um, he's pretty much just a battering ram. Um, you know, he finishes off his runs really well. You know, he always falls forward. He's got good contact, balance, good power. But you know, that's just not the type of back that I'm looking for. Um, and another thing you highlighted on, he looks okay catching the ball, but. I don't think that he's ever going to be the best pass catcher or the running back position on the roster. Maybe you would, maybe he gets to a point where you don't need to take him off. You don't need to take him off the field for third downs, but I don't know if he's ever going to be a guy that you want to be throwing passes to. Yeah, that's how I felt about him too. I mean, obviously we need to see a little bit more of it, but um, you know, I'm not sure with his athletic ability. Yeah. You know, Sorotic Thompson catches a lot of passes, but, you know, like we talked about with him a little bit, the, the, up, the athletic upside, the athleticism limits the upside in that regard for some of these guys, even if they do have soft hands. And I think that could be the case um, with this kid. Uh, but but hey, who's to say? You know, they, these guys transform freshman, sophomore year. He could look totally different um, in, in a few years. So I, I'm, I'm going to give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt there. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely fair to give him the benefit of the doubt. And, you know, I'm assuming Kyron Williams is probably going to leave next year in the draft, um, just given how weak that draft class looks for the running back position. So, you know, with he goes and then Chris Tyree can't handle a full workload. So, you know, maybe he gets a a 1B type of a role. So he could fall into a nice role his uh, sophomore year. Um, He could definitely pull, you know, Get gets a decent amount of carries there, but I think just for where he's going to go, I'm I'm not going to end up with any of him. Yeah. 
All right, guys. So that is the show for tonight. Uh, like we said at the beginning of the show, if you want in on that Travis Etienne jersey, we do not have a timeline picked out for that. As soon as it arrives, we'll probably give it a week or two and then close up um, entries for this this round of jersey giveaway. Uh, so like we said, uh, rate, review the show, DM one of us or email one of us um, to, to just let us know, get you on the list, make sure we don't miss you so you don't miss out. Uh, beyond that, uh, be on the lookout for our show later in the week, Canton Bound, that highlights all the NFL stuff. I believe we're giving the second round of um, last week's show with Felix and Matt. Um, they talk a little free agency. It sounds it sounds like Matt correctly predicted the Johnny landing spot. Is that, is yeah. that what I what I can gather from Matt demanding an apology from me today? Yeah, so um, <laughs> you, you look forward to that along with some other news. Um, and we might do something else just to discuss some of the free agency happenings. I don't know. We we can discuss that here in the next couple of days. Um, but beyond that, enjoy the rest of your week here, guys. Uh, I am Austin. And this is Colin. And have a good one.